Welcome to Chit Chat Money. Today is Thursday, September 9th. Today we have an interview with Alex Morris. This is our deep dive show. We talk Airbnb. This was a lot of fun. He just published a good write-up on it on his Substack. Uh, what it was his what is his nickname? That the science of hitting. Yeah. If you That's know him from Twitter. If you know him from Twitter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's very thorough. He obviously knows the company very well. So I uh, hope you enjoy it. But before we get to that, we have to talk about our friends, our sponsor, Quarter. Uh, I've been using the app a little less lately. Well, it's earnings season. It's a little, you know. Yeah, I, I'm on my uh, it's my dry period after uh, after earnings season, but it'll pick back up soon. Yeah, they have some big stuff in store that they've been talking about. They sent us over. Uh, they actually just sent us over a banner that we're supposed to print and put up on our wall. So if you watch this on YouTube, I guess we don't do these ones on YouTube. Well, we do some stuff on YouTube if you want to. Either uh, way. There's some. Yeah, it'll be up there soon. It's going to be huge. Yeah. Maybe not huge. Big but... time news. We'll call it the quarter studio. <laughs> okay, maybe, maybe. But maybe. a little bit about quarter. It is an investor relations uh, app, essentially, for all the companies that you might want to listen to. It's 100% free. It's on iOS. It's on Android. They include companies from all over the world. Uh, and speed up that conference call, go straight to the Q and a, yeah. get through that boring stuff. That's tedious, it's you know, easily the, the nicest way to listen to conference calls. Yes. Um, we'll save you time. And, uh, you can follow them on Twitter at quarter underscore app. It's uh, Q U A R T R no E. Uh, so go ahead and follow them now for the interview. What were some of your highlights? Yeah. So I think I'll just highlight the the comprehensive knowledge he has on the business and the way that Alex goes about valuing a company it is very uh so I like it I like it yeah it's similar to our style I know everyone has different styles uh but if you are thinking about signing up for a service here's how I classify it so there are services that you know we're partners with potential multi-bagger seven investing there's stuff like the Motley Fool right those are for people that you know may not be doing this as their full time job. It's more of something that you you know invest in your retirement account, something like that. The subscribers. The subscribers, yes, for wanting to pay for it. Alex's the science of hitting service. I would argue is for more of a professional who almost wants to outsource an analyst. It's it's more of that higher level stuff. That is why you know if you're someone that's more of doing this professionally, it's great for that. You're getting updates on new companies. You're basically getting research weekly. I don't know the exact cadence. But it's great. And you can see it in this interview with Airbnb. I don't have an exact perfect part, but he goes, you know, really comprehensive. After either, you know, listening to this or reading his report, you feel up to speed on the business. Easily. All right. Uh, without further ado, here's the interview. Welcome to Chit Chat Money. On this show, hosts Ryan Henderson and Brett Schaefer interview industry experts and riff on the world of investing. As a quick reminder, Chit Chat Money is a CCM Media Group podcast. Ryan and Brett are also general partners at Arch Capital, and Arch Capital may have positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Anything discussed on Chit Chat Money by Ryan or Brett or any other podcast guests is not formal advice or recommendation. Now, please enjoy this episode. All right, welcome to Chit Chat Money. This is our deep dive Thursday show. Today we are welcomed by what is this third time guest now? Is this third time on the show? Alex I think, so. Morris. Hey. I think it's yeah. third. Yeah, I'm pretty we sure it's the, third. I did it. Yeah, I did a co episode with uh, who was it? Francisco. Yes, the big Spotify episode. That was, that yeah. was a fun one. Um, we're not talking about that today. Surprise! Surprise! Talking Airbnb, uh, but. 
before we get to the questions, you've recently launched a Substack. So how's that been going? How uh, kind of how is that process of just writing independently? Yeah, it's been going really well. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, you know, the uh, the Substack's been going really well so so far. It helped that I. I wrote about investments for I think ten or eleven years before I launched it, so I had a good amount of experience, and you know I've been I've been doing the the equity research type stuff uh, for a very long time as well. So it was kind of a natural transition for me. Uh, the launch, as you might suspect, going from a normal job to uh, something that didn't pay anything out of the gates was a little bit terrifying, uh, but but it's had a really good reception so far. You know, the biggest thing for me is just continuing to put out work that I'm proud of. And, and, you know, another nice part of it is that it's, it's kind of been a forcing function for me to kind of expand uh, the universe of companies that I look at. And Airbnb is a good example of something that I looked at when the S1 came out, but writing an article about this week, truly doing a deep dive made me dig in in a way that I had not previously. And I learned a lot of things I didn't know about the company previously. So it's, you know, it's been really beneficial, both in terms of my individual equity research and hopefully my portfolio performance long-term, but um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's gone very well. And I'm very thankful for anybody who's listening, who's a sub to the service. And what industries are you focusing on? It seems like it's, you know, yet retail, consumer internet and media. Mm -hmm. I know you focus on media a lot. Is there anything else that you do with the Substack? Yeah, those are the biggest ones. I mean, I did, I did a deep dive on what I consider to be the main players in us retail kind of in between, uh, first quarter earnings and second quarter earnings. Um, you know, some of the things that I own that I update on uh, fairly frequently, Microsoft, Comcast. So, you know, some of the tech stuff, some cable, some of the bigger U.S. financial institutions. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it, it kind of depends what catches my interest and what looks attractive. And, and obviously, it also be something that I understand. So that cuts it down pretty good. But, um, yeah, there's, there's a pretty, pretty wide range of companies that I'm covering now. All right, we're going to hit Airbnb, which you just, uh, that was your latest post. So if anyone's looking, you know, for something to read up on that, you can go check out the Substack. We'll link it in the show notes. But most listeners know the Airbnb brand, but may not know how the business model works. So can you explain first off how Airbnb makes money? Sure. So, so at a high level, it's a service fee business and it's a platform where, um, and there's been different, different business models in this space in the past, most notably, uh, what HomeAway did, which is part of Expedia. Now they had a different way of doing it, but they've since changed. But Airbnb, and the most simplistic uh, way of framing it is you go on there, you list your home, you want to charge $100 a night. If you want to charge $100 per night and someone books it, you're going to net $97. So you pay a 3% service fee, which is basically how much it costs for payment processing anyways. So you know it's a, it's a very low service fee for the host. The guest, what they're going to see when they go onto the website is that $100 listing, but then it's also going to include about $13 in service fees. And then it's also going to include about $4 of uh, a lodging taxes that'll be remitted to local authorities. So in total, the listing will be roughly $117, $97 paid to the host, $4 to local authorities for taxes, and then the remaining $16 to Airbnb. And so that's 16 on 117 is roughly a 14% take rate. Okay. And again, before all costs of, of any, you know, payment processing, whatever it may be. Is that a common take rate in the industry among like OTAs or maybe I guess 
VRBO, VRBO is that kind of mainstream? So VRBO, just to start there, has has this has been one of their kind of talking points over the years. Um, they they've kind of dropped this line because I <laughs> I think the results have not been particularly good, so they they kind of stopped trot, trotting it out. But they used to say, hey, you know our our kind of take rate is eleven percent, so it's you know obviously a little bit lower. Um, if you look at these things measured on gross profits, which is probably a better way to compare them, Booking Holdings, which is the largest OTA, has a higher take rate uh, than than Airbnb does. There's a couple ways to think about that, but the easiest way for me to think about is to look at gross profits per booking, per transaction, essentially. And if you look at it on that framework, Airbnb is at about $11 in gross profits per booking, and booking holdings is at roughly nineteen dollars. So it's a it's a very large difference. There's 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 some components in there that are not just the take rate. Most notably, that booking has a higher ADR. The average the average booking on there, and I get this is really confusing saying booking a million times. So I'm sorry, but that's what the company's called. So <laughs> um, so they have higher ADRs on average. The rooms cost more. So naturally, you know the dollars that they get should be slightly higher because of that. Um, but yeah, so Airbnb is quite a bit lower than than booking holdings on a on a dollar basis per booking. Okay. And in your article, I won't uh, spoil too much of the article, but you called Airbnb a different kind of animal in quotes. Uh, so I'm curious what what makes them so unique in in your opinion, and then uh, who are sort of their main competitors? So I think what makes them unique it, it probably helps to to use an example and and i kind of i made that comment referencing what happened during the pandemic and and really what's happened afterwards so if you go back to the start of 2020 airbnb had a very strong two months to start the year off which most of their competitors did as well then their business got absolutely crushed in march and april um which we can talk about this more if, if you guys would like to but business got absolutely crushed what you saw then was they use this term inherently adaptable to talk about their platform. And I think you you saw that happen as the pandemic started to play out and people decided, well, they didn't really decide in terms of international travel, they couldn't do it anymore by law. Um, but in terms of other travel, people stopped getting on flights and flying somewhere, you know, halfway across the country, they started traveling closer to home. Or the other big change that they saw is they saw a large increase in extended stays as, as people were working remotely. So just an example of how the platform can really adapt to what people what people want or what people need at a certain point in time. And, and Airbnb has nothing to do with that. It's the hosts who are, who are uh, letting that or making that happen. So as you look at the results, you know, fast forward a year past the pandemic, pandemic, if you look in the second quarter, Airbnb's gross booking value versus second quarter 2019 was up nearly 40%. Now that, re- that reflects some mixed shift because more of their business was in markets like North America than had been previously, and those have higher ADRs and chips are for longer stays, extended periods of time. So there's two impacts there. But if you look at on a volume basis, number of nights booked, it was roughly flat versus 2019. And if you look at any OTA, any any major hotel chain uh, on nights booked, but especially on, on GBV, they were materially worse off than that. So I think it just it just reflects a part of Airbnb's business 
that is quite a bit different than than what we consider in a, a typical typical travel company. Now, what uh, just for the listeners, what what's ADR mean? Because uh, some people may not know. Yeah, it's the average daily rate. So you know, essentially the cost of of a night. Okay. What uh, can you kind of highlight COVID's impact on the business? Because I uh, you had some good charts in your write up, uh, particularly the one I found fascinating was how the hosts have kind of stagnated. I'm curious uh, what's happened to the business since COVID hit. Is it in like a better position now than maybe prior to the pandemic? There's, there's two really interesting things that happened to this business. Um, and the first one I think is, as I said, you know, January, February, the business was doing well. March, I believe bookings were down 40% year over year. April bookings were down 80% year over year. I think those numbers are roughly right. And this is 2020 we're talking about. Um, if you include cancellations, the business was less than zero. <laughs> the, the value of cancellations was larger than the, the gross bookings. And I believe in March and April, but maybe just April. But yeah, so the business went you know, from full speed to a complete stop in eight weeks. Airbnb up until that point, you know, it's kind of funny. This company was started by two industrial designers and the business in, if you go back and listen to interviews in the period like 15, 16, 17, those years, 18, you get the sense that they have a really grand vision for what they want this to be. And that included things that I think have a lot of merit, like getting into the experiences business, which we'll talk about, but it also included other things that were a little bit off the reservation in my mind, things like flights and uh, you know something that sounds comparable to TripAdvisor, basically like things like reviews on, on local. So they really, they really were interested in doing a bunch of different things outside of the core uh, home sharing platform. And when you get into 2020 and the business comes to a complete stop, and also on top of that, they had a billion dollars worth of bookings that were non-refundable where people were like, well, I, I, I can't travel now. If you force me to travel because I have a thousand dollar booking, then I'm risking my health. So Airbnb had a really difficult decision. They said, okay, we'll, re- we'll refund all those bookings. And then the host went, what the heck? That was, that was my money. That's not your money. So long story short, it led them to eventually give those hosts $250 million out of their own pocket for all those bookings, just about 25% coverage basically. But anyway, so they took a huge financial hit and it was really the first time in the company's history, I think that they were forced to really focus on operating efficiency and really have focus. And I, I think if you look at the financial results, it's pretty clear that's having a lasting impact to this day. You know, in, and even in what they say, it's having a lasting impact. So I really think it, it, it was actually a net benefit for the company. It's something they really needed to go through. And I think for, for Brian Chesky, the CEO, I think it, it really is a defining moment because he, when you listen to him talk, I, I, I really believe he has a passion for what this business could be and what it does for the world. And he really does care about his employees. But going through that period forced him to, to be a bit more of a business leader than I think he, he may have viewed himself as in the past. Right. That makes sense. And recently, I guess management like Chesky and all the other ones have given out a lot of data around, you know, longer term stays, monthly stays. They've been highlighting that as a really fast growing part of the business right now. 
how much of an opportunity do you believe there is there? Is that a short-term thing or have you found any, you know, data points that shows that that could be a, you know, a really big part of this business someday? I think it's incredibly difficult to say. I've, I've, I've read everything I could find on the topic and I've, I've listened to, or I've read transcripts of every executive kind of in the industry talk about this. And I just think it's so difficult to say, you know, there's a lot of people, I, I, I believe in the idea and obviously I'm biased because of my anecdotal experience where I kind of am, am living this creator economy life or whatever you want to call it, where essentially I could live anywhere that I want to. And I appreciate that that could be maybe millions of people down the road. Um, but at the same time, there's a large number of people who work at companies that have told them, Hey, you're not coming back until at least September, November, first of the year, whatever it may be. So they had the ability to go out and book an Airbnb for a month if they wanted. Um, I'm not sure I would totally bet on this being completely sustainable. Um, I mean, in terms of us not having any, you know, short-term pullback once the world normalizes, assuming we ever actually do normalize. Um, but I do think it highlights what the platform can do and how it can it can really adjust uh, to whatever comes down the road. Right. That's interesting. So that comes back to where it seems like Airbnb's focus is to serve the hosts and then the hosts serve the, the people who book stuff. Uh, I'm forgetting whatever the normal term is. I can't, uh, can't think of it right now, but is that an important distinction where Airbnb's customers are really the hosts and getting as many of them on the platform is the most you know important thing for driving this business? Yeah, I think it's the most important. It's the most important thing by far. You know, some of the stats that I have in the article um, at, at Code 2018, which is a big conference, Brian Chesky said that 70% of the homes on the platform, which I believe is 5 million at that time, uh, 70% of the homes were unique. The only site they were on was Airbnb. And, you know, they, they give some data now um, of the 4 million hosts that they have, it's three and a half million, something like that, are individuals. And, you know, you can look at the numbers and and you can see that clearly this is a supplemental source of income for the average host. I mean, the number across the platform is something like seven, eight, nine thousand $9,000 a year in terms of uh, you know, bookings that would be going through a given listing. So not enough money for someone to truly live on. Um, you know, I think there's a huge advantage in that regard in terms of being a company that has really streamlined the ability to, to get your listing on there, to have it, you know, one of the things they famously did early on is when they joined Y Combinator, which is a startup incubator, uh, I think it was Paul Graham said, you know, where are your customers? And they said, well, it's mostly people in New York using this right now. And he said, we'll go to New York then. So what they did during the three months they were in Y Combinator was every weekend they'd fly to New York. And what they do is they would go knock on host's door and I think they would introduce themselves and they'd say, hey, do you want free professional photographs of your listing? And people would say, yeah, sure. And later on, a professional photographer would show up and it would be them because they, they couldn't afford to pay anybody else to do it. They were going and doing it themselves. But what they found out is that something as small as that was important to you know, driving comfort with using the platform and, and driving booking. So that's one example of something that Airbnb still offers to this day. They have freelancers who will come take professional photos for people. They have really good host guarantees. They have the process for listing your home is, is quite simple. And then in terms of the, 
you know, the activity that you see, they share data that says, you know, within the first four days, half of new listings have a booking. And within the first 16 days, 75% of new listings have a booking on their platform. So, you know, you, you really see how they focus a lot of their attention on ensuring that hosts have a good experience and then the activity on the other side of the platform seems to follow. Why aren't the hosts, you said 70% of them are unique to Airbnb. Like, why is that? Why wouldn't they be platform agnostic? I figure if I had, if I was renting out my room or whatever, I'd want it wherever demand possibly is. Is is there just enough on Airbnb? This will get to, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a moment. there's, There's interesting considerations in terms of where else you might consider listing. And so for example, uh, VRBO, which I, I think they want to be called Verbo now. So I, I can't really say that because it's a really weird word. I think I'm just going to say VRBO forever, but VRBO is more of a, you know, it's more of a vacation, uh, uh, vacation listing type site. It's, it's not really somewhere you'd list a spare bedroom in your house. So for, for certain listings, I don't even know, you know, what else would be the next alternative? Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. That kind of makes There's, sense. There's not really a clear alternative. I mean, outside of, I guess you listen on Craigslist or find something like that, but Airbnb is just such a clear leader. And I think the other consideration gets back to what I just said a minute ago, which is if people are listing their homes on this platform and they're having a lot of success getting bookings for, you know, the 60 to 80 days of the year where they want to have bookings when they're not there or when they're, when they're willing to do the work, it almost becomes why even bother, you know, why deal with the headache of having multiple listings on different platforms, worrying about getting double booked, et cetera, et cetera. So for the people who are truly doing it themselves, as opposed to having some other, you know, channel manager or someone who does it for them, it might just be as simple as I'm, I'm meeting my, my demand through Airbnb. It's a clean platform. I know I'm protected here. Why bother? So I think it might be as simple as that. What's the value from the consumer side like why do they choose airbnb is it significantly cheaper than the hotels or is it kind of the unique homes that they find on the platform yeah i think it's a combination i think it depends um you know i think it depends where you're going and and what you're what you're looking for which again gets us gets into this inherent adaptability of the platform if you're going to new york city for example and you just want to find a bed that's you know, in someone's home, that's actually downtown, you're not going to pay, you know, $500 a night, like you might pay if you, uh, you know, stay at a, a nice hotel, then Airbnb can get, be a good fit for that. It's funny, I went back and looked at my Airbnb transaction history, because I was curious how much I've used it as I was doing this research. And the first time I ever used Airbnb was back in 2014. And I stayed in someone's apartment in New York City. And I think I paid like 150 bucks. And I can remember, the closest hotels were like 300 bucks and they were hotels that when I looked at them, I was like, Oh my God, I do not want to stay in this. <laughs> like they were terrifying right. and I don't think they were even downtown either. So, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then also, you know, when people go to places and they have whatever, a party of eight or they have pets or, you know, they want to go somewhere that has a pool or a hot, t- you know, things like that. They're just, they're so easy to search for on the platform and you can you can get exactly what you want, um, and you know that's kind of an alternative alternative accommodations comment generally. Why Airbnb specifically? Yeah, I think it gets back to that that unique supply, um, 
you know, and even and even what they did during COVID, where they said, "Hey, we're going to give you a re-, you know things like that." I, I just think, I think they have pretty strong brand equity, and I I think it's been well deserved at least so far. Right, and I guess we'll have to keep going. But one last one on this: the, you mentioned they have a competitive advantage, and I think it's hard for maybe an investor to nail down which one is it the brand. Is it an economies of scale thing? Is it a network effect? What do you think the most important thing is that's keeping Airbnb uh, having a defensible position versus any other upstart? I think it's really, I think it's difficult to say. And, you know, it's funny as I, I think about businesses like this and I think sometimes what can be helpful from an investment perspective is as opposed to always, and I understand why people want to answer those questions. I want to answer them too. Sometimes they're really hard to pin down. I think what's interesting to do sometimes is to take a step back and go, what happened over the past three years, the past five years? Why if did this company win over that period? I'd argue clearly that Airbnb has won relative to the competitors. Um, I have I have GBV data. It's it, Airbnb in 2019 was at about $38 billion. Booking holdings, which we can talk about more, was at about twenty-two billion dollars, and uh, VRBO was at about twelve billion. So they're they're clearly the biggest player. Um, they were the smallest player not too long ago. So you know, clearly they've outperformed the competition. I think sometimes it's interesting to think about, well, why did that happen, and do we have reason to believe it's going to continue? And I think when you when you look at those factors, I just feel like from a brand perspective from a host and guest satisfaction with the platform perspective, what would really cause someone who used Airbnb previously as a host or a guest to change, you know, to use a different platform to the extent there even is one. I just think you see a lot of reasons why this business in particular will have the most tailwinds in a category that, you know, has naturally had some tailwinds of its own over the past 12 to 18 months. So not, not, a, not a great answer directly, but I think it's one of those things we see a lot in other companies that the, the three of us have talked about, like Spotify and even Netflix at one point in time, et cetera. Right. It's kind of the question, if they didn't get dethroned, why not? And it's like, okay, well, then there must be something here. But I it's think we want to... It's, it's, it's definitely a verb by now. The verb thing comes into it, uh, to an account too. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on management? I know Chesky is kind of one of the big in the Silicon Valley lore, even, you know, most people that aren't in investing kind of know who he is, them, you know, Travis Kalanick, kind of the big names uh, from this mm-hmm. era. What are your thoughts on management? How important is it to Airbnb's future? Yeah, I think he's incredibly important in terms of the, in, in terms of truly caring about the platform and caring about the, all the related parties. And that doesn't just mean hosts and guests. That also means obviously employees, shareholders, but also, you know, the cities and, uh, you know, the people that the platform is interacting with and not, not really by choice, but it's an externality of what this business is. So I I think he has a really clear focus on, um, especially post COVID what, what he thinks his business can be long-term and, and also how to navigate a bunch of those issues. And again, to the previous question, that's a good example, you know, Airbnb has the muscle memory from be, from dealing with really uh, terrible guest days where they had to figure out how to make the host whole. You know what I mean? They they've they've personally dealt with issues like 
New York City politicians, they've been dealing with that for over a decade. So a lot of these things, they've they've found solutions or tried to find solutions at least to the best of their abilities, but they have the muscle memory, they have the experience at this point in time. And, you know, someone like Booking Holdings just plugging US alternative accommodations into their platform. It's a lot harder for, for me to see how they truly take market share from someone like Airbnb. So back to Chesky, I'd you know, I think in, I think in general that he's a good leader. I think he needed a little bit more business focus. Um, and you know, they, they they brought in a CFO from Amazon who I it's it's kind of funny. I, I you notice this on conference calls sometimes where the CEO and the CFO don't seem to totally be aligned in their messaging, or they they have a different sort of way of answering a question. I definitely got a feel a feeling like that as I as I li- listened to their first few calls. Um, after having gone public in December of 2020. So, you know, it's probably a little bit different for him, but I think it's something that they they need long-term. Do you think they should bring back the uh, breakfast cereals? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they made a lot of money selling those things. I, I might try that myself. Maybe I'll do, uh, what would it be? I, I guess I missed the chance on Trump and Biden. I should Trump have done that. <laughs> yeah. <Biden> knows. <laughs> yeah, sign up for my sub. Yeah, sign yeah, up for the sub stack. If you don't know what we're referring to, <laughs> I don't know what we're referring to. Go go read Alex's Substack. We're going to uh, hit a quick break here, and then we got more questions on the second half. This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Here you are, miles from home and ready to start your vacation. Good thing you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. They have free high-speed Wi-Fi to stream all your favorite movies. And in the morning, get fresh waffles with their free bright side breakfast. Or squeeze in a workout at their fitness center. Either way, you're ready to conquer the day. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you triumph. Book your stay at LQ.com. Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi includes advanced security to help protect all your connected devices. You'll get real-time alerts. Oh, like this one. So you don't have to worry about malware. Or when your kid downloads a song from a shady link. And now all your computer can play is Red color, red color, where are you? All blocked, thanks to advanced security, included with Cox Panoramic Wi-Fi. Advanced security must be enabled in the Panoramic Wi-Fi app. Restrictions apply. All right, welcome back in, Brett. It looks like you got the first question. Yeah, so we're going to try to hit some of the concerns I think a lot of investors have. And you see, you know, just on Twitter, at least in the the FinTwit community, there's always those quips of people complaining about Airbnb experiences, you know, bad room quality, hidden fees, all that classic stuff that you kind of see floating around there. And then like abrupt host cancellations, that stuff comes up a lot. Do you believe those matter to the investment thesis? Could that be a concern to the business quality over the long term? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a hugely important point. I mean, just the idea for people who have never used the platform, the the kind of the fear or uncertainty of, of what this is, you know, it goes back to when they were founded, when people thought you would never sleep on a stranger's I mean, a stranger's couch or bed, particularly not when they're there, but I'm sure there's some people who think it's weird even to do it when they're not there, if you're running the whole home. So, you know, I think the concern about that for people who have never used the platform and then for people who have used the platform, who have experienced those 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 low quality outcomes before, which I, I have myself, yeah, it's a, it's a real risk. And, you know, one of the things I think about with this business is, you know, ratings inflation seems to be a, a 
pretty prevalent across platforms like this, whether it's Airbnb or you know a bunch of Google reviews, Yelp, things like that. But if you have a ratings inflation and you and you go to a restaurant and the restaurant actually kind of sucks, even though the platform says it was good, if Yelp said it was good, that's kind of not that big of a deal. If you book something for a week and it says it was good and you get there and it sucks, that's a lot different. You know, the, the pain of the pain of the platform kind of misguiding you is a much more real on something like Airbnb. So I think it's it's incredibly important for them to address it long term and you know to to ensure that the platform and obviously they they can help guests and or help hosts in terms of you know improving the quality of the experience and and they can also have signals things like super hosts that uh, kind of indicate hey these are these are the best suppliers on the platform so i think they need to continue to work at it and it's incredibly important long term but i'm kind of i'm confident they can figure that out well this is kind of anecdotal but i think they should require the host to put the wi-fi speed on their listing uh, mm-hmm. if they're leveraging that whole uh remote work it yeah. feels integral but yeah. uh I guess another question is around some of the other stuff beyond the core platform. Do you think that, uh, obviously you kind of talked about it, they were planning to do all these different parts, whether it was experiences, flights, all that stuff pre-COVID. Do you think that any of those products still have promise or that there's any, if there's tons of optionality to the business or do you think it's really just this core bookings platform? I think a lot of the things that they were trying to do are again, kind of outlandish. I didn't, I never totally understood what they wanted to do with flights. And, you know, some of these things were just said in interviews and who knows how, how big of a focus they were internally. But at Code in 2018, I, Chesky said they had, I believe he said dozens of initiatives, things that they were trying to do. And he, he in that interview, kind of laid out a grand vision of what he thought this platform might become. And three years later, you know, again, none of those things have really happened. I, I, Experience is a, is a super interesting one because, you know, I, I used to own Booking Holdings. I've done work on TripAdvisor. Both of those companies really thought that they could find a way to do something in experiences. And if you think about experiences, you know, most places, obviously, the supply is really fragmented. There's reviews online, but there's not much more than that. There's not really, you know, well set up booking process, things like that. Um, so those companies tried to find a way to make that work and to, to build a scalable business out of experiences. And it just, it has never worked essentially. Um, and I think Airbnb so far, which granted the type of experiences they were going after are a little bit different than, um, a little bit different than your typical go to New York city and do an experience. It had a little bit of an Airbnb feel to it, a little bit more personal, Kind of like cooking um, classes, right? Stuff like that. Things like that, exactly. And then they launched online experiences, which is a way to maybe try and still make that work. Um, I think they can figure something out, something out here long term. And I, I partly say that because I think the customer who is using Airbnb is uh, much more of a fit for what they're trying to do than your typical consumer. Um, so they might be able to figure that out. And I think, you know, by nature of having the real estate on someone's phone or on the computer and knowing when they booked and be able to sh- being able to show that to them in a really compelling way, I think they might be able to figure out the experiences long term. But I, I don't think it's anything that can happen in the next 
you know, call it even five years. I, I, I just don't see how it becomes a material part of the business in the short term. And I think their their commentary around it is is really telling. You know, they Chesky in particular was very gung ho about what experiences could become in a relatively short period of time. He would say things like, you know, in the next year, this is going to become pretty important. And he was saying those things a few years ago. Now, if you go back and read the the Q two twenty one call or the Q one twenty one call, he's uh, he's definitely toned that down a lot. So I think they're still focused on it, but it, it's going to take a while. What about like a loyalty credit card or a travel card? They were talking about that. Do you think more things like that can kind of just add on top membership programs and maybe something like, I know they've added more. So say you're at your, you're researching your location or your, your, your reservation at a certain spot. And now they kind of have guides for food or, you know, local rules on food, restaurants and activities kind of on a map. It's not like experiences through the platform. Do you think stuff like that can really be additive stuff like the Wi-Fi thing that Ryan mentioned. Is that really something that they can just ride this tailwind on the on the traveling part? And uh, I don't know. That just seems like a giant opportunity to go after and just focus on that. Yeah, I think it's funny. You know, you, you started that by saying essentially a kind of like a uh, what would you call it? Like a guest rewards program, basically. Yeah. Which you know, it's pretty every, every orbits whoever else. They all have some version of this, and Airbnb has talked about that in the past and. As far as I know, they've never they've never launched anything on the guest side like that. And that seems kind of like table stakes, like the place they should start. As we start talking about other things like restaurants or, you know, like they've talked about flights, booking calls is a connected trip. And it's this idea that and Airbnb has kind of said, hey, this is what they used to say. We have this an all-inclusive app, is all-inclusive travel app is what we're going for. I just don't think the vision's particularly realistic, even for even for booking to do. Um, and they may have, you know, in their case, you may book your flight through them and you may, may also book your hotel and your car through them. So they have a lot of information about your trip. Airbnb is just at a point in the booking funnel where I don't think they can make that work. And, you know, it, that would that would mean displacing things like TripAdvisor and Yelp to a certain extent. I just, I just don't think it's going to happen. Do you think Google is kind of the big threat there that's stopping someone from integrating this? Yeah, I've, I've, at a high level, I've thought that Google is the company that can figure this out, if anybody, because of mainly because of their position as uh, the email inbox. And I'm sure is, well, I don't know if it's the same on iPhones, but I know on Android, if you book a flight, you don't have to set reminders. I mean, Google will just tell you, you know, six weeks later when the flight's coming, hey, you have a flight later today at X time. So, I mean, they know where you're going. They know what you're doing by crawling your email confirmation. So, and obviously they have their own reviews and things like that. So I've always thought if anybody's going to figure this out, it makes the most sense that Google would be part of it. Obviously, they they don't have the focus on this category in the way that someone like Airbnb does, but it seems like they are in the position to, use data to make that happen. Now that said, they have also tried to do things with this. And as far as I know, those efforts haven't gone too far. So it's, it's a problem that's evaded everybody so far. Well, a lot of their cust- a lot of Airbnb's customers are repeat customers, right? The, not the host, but the guests. Yeah. On, on both ends of the transaction, a lot of the customers are repeat customers. Um, that said, management gave that data in the S1 and and hasn't given it since. They didn't give it in the 2020 10K, which for me is, you know, it's a small thing. It's not like a make or break for the investment thesis, but I, I just don't like th- seeing things like that on what I consider to be pretty important uh, financial disclosures. 
Would if if they're already getting a lot of repeat guests, do you think that's maybe why they haven't launched the rewards yet? Because they already. But that makes more sense to do that. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> right? Doesn't it make yeah, a lot of sense. You're discounting it for people that might be doing it anyways, right? True. True. I guess that's right. It's hard to know with you know the, the S one. And it, this is maybe not just an Airbnb issue. The S1 disclosures in my mind are kind of pitiful. <laughs> like in Airbnb's case, they give you three years and they give you, you know, let's call it six or seven metrics, like not, not income statement or balance sheet metrics. They give you kind of KPIs. They, they give you a handful that are really important, which can help you with guessing things like, you know, based on the numbers they give, my guess is that they disclose the number of active bookers in 2019. That was 54 million people. My guesstimate is that the average booker booked about six nights on the platform. So, you know, you can try to back into data like this, but then they don't give you five plus years of historic data. They stop reporting these numbers after the S1's published. So it just gets really hard to, to make continuing or even historic statements about how some of these trends have evolved over time. I guess, do you think another part on the, the repeat customers, people kind of just going to the app without, you know, it's already on their phone. Do you think that can help them reduce the need for marketing expenses? Yeah. And that was another big part of, of COVID that um, I didn't mention earlier. You know, they've historically had a fairly high percentage of direct traffic anyways. They're not, they're not as reliant on, on performance marketing spend as some, you know, some of your traditional OTAs are. Um, but when COVID happened and they really needed to cut back on any discretionary spend, they cut back on marketing in a big way. And when that rebound happened, you know, starting in uh, June or so, when that rebound happened, they saw a major increase in traffic from the lows, at least. But they saw a major increase in traffic without uh, commensurate, you know, growth in marketing spend. So, I think you know we kind of inherently know this for the people who know the company have used the product that has a, a pretty strong brand, and I think they're realizing they, at least for the the current customer base, they don't need to lean as much on on performance-based marketing to drive activity. And so they leaned up a lot during COVID. And uh, I think you wrote about how that could have big lasting impacts and make it a more of an efficient business. Do you think they should maybe reverse course and start spending again? If, if they have given, given the current valuation, uh, they can kind of use that as financing. Oh, in terms of using equity. Yeah. Well, they they still have a good amount of stock based comp, and um, they don't they don't seem uh, too worried about spending, generally speaking. So I, I think it was this is like the start of them getting efficient. Um, I don't think we're at we're not at the end of the road yet. Um, and you know, to put it in numbers, EBITDA margins. Granted, this is a weird year, obviously, but EBITDA margins in the first half of the year were mid single digits. Booking holdings, their EBITDA margins going back. Um, you know, to a to a point in time when they were similar size to Airbnb, their EBITDA margins are like mid thirties, forty percent, somewhere around there. So we're talking about a massive gap in profitability between these two platforms, and it's not all a cost issue, but I certainly sense that that's a part of it. Okay, and how do you go about valuing Airbnb? I guess you know that's kind of how we'll wrap up here. What are the key metrics, you know, financial, non financial, that you're tracking, and do you believe they can get to that thirty percent EBITDA margin target? Uh, like the OTAs? Yeah. So the key metrics in my mind are, you know, you can break these down, obviously, but GBV is kind of 
when it all comes together. And I've already said this, GBV is gross booking value. It's just the total dollar value of all the nights, mostly the nights booked on the platform. Um, so let's start there real quick. Airbnb's GBV in 2019 was $38 billion. As I showed in the write-up, it's interesting. If you look back over the previous five years and comp that to booking holdings at a time when their GBV was in a similar range, the growth rates are almost identical. Like right. it's kind of scarily so. <laughs> like the lines are right on top of each other. Um, and by, by growth rates, I mean the dollars of, of GBV that they're reporting. So um, I kind of start from there and I think about, okay, what's a reasonable estimate for 21? They've had they've had a really good start to the year. Q2 was a really good quarter. Um, you know, if you kind of assume that we can get 20% growth off of 19, that puts 21 at about 45 billion. Then I looked at booking holdings growth rate from the time they were at about 45 to when they got, they, they topped out at about a hundred billion um, in 19, I believe. So I looked at their growth rate, just thought, thought about it logically as well. You know, Airbnb's growth rate, rate in 18 was 38%. Their growth rate in 19 was 33%. So I assumed what happens if this is a 20 to 25% annualized growth business after, you know, that 21 kind of reset. That gets you to 100 billion in about five to six years. So that's the first metric. Then we look at the take rate, which, as I discussed earlier, you know, again, that that's sixteen dollars on 117. You know, whatever those rough numbers were, it works out to about 14 percent, 13 to 14 percent. So that would be your revenue on that 100 billion. So call it 13 or 14. Now your question on margins, as I said, they're they're at mid single digits right now on EBITDA. Um, that does not account for pretty significant stock-based comp. Um, you know, I, I tend to think about it as, um, I, I don't know if this business can truly, in, in, a, in a reasonably uh, soon period of time, let's call it, you know, five years, I don't know if they can truly get to that kind of mid-30s level that booking's at. My sense is that there's just a lot more hand-holding in this business. And I think, I think management at Airbnb and at competitors like Booking has has alluded to this fact um, that it's just a more cost uh, intensive business. So, but even if we assume they can get close and properly account for uh, DNA and also stock based comp, if you want to say this is a twenty to twenty five percent EBIT margin business, I say we're at thirteen billion. Uh, so that puts you at roughly three. Roughly three billion in EBIT. You know, if you a tax rate of twenty percent, roughly gets you to two five. We'll call it. Uh, the market cap today is like one hundred and ten. So, billion, you know, right, billion, one hundred and ten billion, not one hundred and ten million, unfortunately. Um, so, you know, as I think about that, and I, I try not to get too cute with these things, unless I have a lot of confidence in what this business looks like once it's at hundred billion, is this a business that's going to grow significantly faster than booking holdings, a leading OTA is growing today? And I'll get more into the booking thing in one second. Is it going to grow significantly faster or are those margin estimates way off? Is, is that way too low? Without believing that, it's hard for me to see how you pay 110 billion right now. And probably the easiest way to make that point is to look on a relative basis to booking which, as I said a moment ago, kind of peaked at around 100 billion. Um, 
they have they already have that margin structure actually a little bit higher than that you know call it 20 25%. Um the other interesting thing about booking is they already have a pretty large alternative accommodations business. Um I actually had someone message me after I posted the article from Europe who uh lists his home and kind of said you know this is a little bit different than the US here. You know booking isn't a big player in the US but they're a massive player in Europe. And he kind of suggested to me that they're a big alternative accommodations business. And if, you know, if you, if you go and look at management's words at booking over the years, they've spent a lot of time trying to move into the U S both on alternative accommodations and hotels. Um, They'll readily admit that they have not done particularly well in the U S particularly in terms of signing up uh, the individual hosts. So I, they're a company I followed for a while and I tend to take their word for pretty close to fact. And to me, it sounds like of that $22 billion of gross bookings that they did in 19 that I mentioned earlier, a large percentage of that is, is from Europe. So it, it sounds to me like they have a halfway decently sized business. And obviously you're getting a huge hotel OTA business as well. And you're paying you know 90 to $95 billion for that as opposed to paying 110 for Airbnb. So long story short, on both an absolute and a relative basis, I I kind of struggle to get to Airbnb's valuation, but maybe people are much more optimistic about its growth rate past 100 billion. Maybe they think experience is gonna be a huge business long-term. I'm not totally sure what the market sees. You know, Sometimes when I finish up an exercise like this, I'll, I'll look at some sell-side reports, especially like initiation type pieces, just to, get a sense, are people seeing things differently than how I see them? Are they looking at different numbers, et cetera, et cetera. The recurring conclusion that I saw from basically everybody was, this is a really good business. We like this business a lot. And they didn't say this explicitly, but I'm used to sell side language. We tried to make the numbers get to as close to this price as we could, and we can kind of get there, but we can't call this a buy. So <laughs> I think a lot of people who look at this business are a bit uh, perplexed by the valuation, but we'll see. I think we're in the same boat. Yeah. So two part question to follow that up. Yeah. You think that Airbnb has an ability to uh, raise their fees or like have pricing power, or does that kind of degrade the value of the platform? And then secondly, let's say those rosy assumptions or the, the optimistic projections worked out and they got to 30% EBITDA margins and uh, continued to grow to that bookings value you talked about. What's a price that you would be comfortable paying today? Say the first one one more time. Sorry. I got first lost. One in the was, second do, you th- one. <laughs> do you think they have pricing power? Yeah, I think, I think it's almost inevitable that you'll see them take their take rate's going to move higher over time. And by the way, you know, bookings take rates move higher over time. As I, I, I wrote in the article, there's been a persistent gap of about 500 basis points between them on the metric that I showed. But what I didn't, didn't say in words, but you could see from the chart was both of their take rates have actually trended a little bit higher over time. Um, I think it's inevitable that Airbnb has a higher take rate. That said, I think having just gone through the pandemic, which, you know, it, it, it's been some head. There's been some headwinds there in terms of acting active listings growth and in terms of host growth. I think that's partly explained by there being a pandemic and people not wanting to now suddenly list their home and have strangers coming inside. 
But I also think there's a real question about, you know, TAM can mean growth in listings, growth in bookings. You know, it, it can mean a couple different variables that drive it. I don't know if they know better than anybody else in terms of how big the host numbers can be. Um, and, you know, I spoke before about them being a little bit iffy on some of the disclosures from the S1. They were asked on the Q2 call about the fact that they've they've given qualitative commentary around active listings and uh, hosts on the platform since the S1, but they've been very tentative to give actual numbers. And to me, that strikes me as odd because those are huge KPIs for this business. And when asked about it, they essentially said, yeah, we're, we're just not, we don't feel they need to do that essentially. I mean, I assume they'll have to in a 10K because it's a material disclosure, but they aren't just going to do it on the conference calls, it sounds like. So when I hear something like that, I, I, I start to wonder, are they a bit tentative about this KPI as well? So we'll see, but I, I definitely think that's something uh, to think about. In terms of your second question, you know, if, if I have a lot of confidence in into that GBV number, or maybe even something a little bit above it, and I have a lot of confidence on what those normalized margins look like, and I can really get comfortable on how much stock-based comp bleed there's going to be in the, in the share count. On that normalized number, call it five years out, if I truly love this business, which there's a lot of things about this business I do love, if you told me I had to pay 30 times on that you know, 2025, 2026 number today. I wouldn't love that, but I would definitely consider it. Um, so, you know, in that, in that kind of 20 to 30 times range, I think there's, I'd have to think really hard about whether I, I, I've imposed a rule on myself that I won't have positions that are smaller than 5% weightings. Cause I don't want to just do things. Uh, I want to have conviction around my ideas. And if I don't have conviction around my ideas, I don't want to own them at all essentially. So if it was in that 20 to 30 times range, I'd really have to think about whether or not I wanted to make this 5% position. And, you know, there's a, there's a, there's a part of me that says I definitely would. Any other questions? No. Did you have the risk one or do you think we covered that? I think we kind of covered that. Uh, so I think that's all the questions we have. Thanks again for joining us. Uh, where can people find you other, I mean, what's the uh, Twitter handle? Uh, Twitter handle is at, T-S-O-H underscore investing. And yeah, my name's Alex Moore, so everybody knows. And then what's the Substack called? Uh, T-S-O-H Investment Research Service. Perfect. Okay, well, that's going to do it. I'm going to try to hit the disclosure and not butcher this time. So we are uh, not financial advisors. Anything we say or discuss here on Chit Chat Money is not formal advice or a recommendation. We are, however, general partners at Arch Capital, so clients may have positions and uh, the securities discussed in this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next time.